If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Today, I want to encourage you to stop and reflect how intentional have you been with surrounding yourself with rock stars, with badasses, with people that are encouraging you to live your dream, people that have resources and have the ability to impact your life in a positive way? Or are you surrounded with some people that are struggling and maybe, maybe are pulling you back and are creating doubt in your life? Or maybe a, a cast of characters in your life. Whoever you surround yourself, though, I think we can all agree, is going to have a ripple effect in your life. So the good news is that if you choose a group of people, a tribe of people that are high achieving, motivated, uh, happy, it's going to accelerate your success. I think we can all agree upon that. And that's the whole point of this show, is to introduce you to people who have broken through, defied the odds, made a difference in their life, and, and for you to be able to add them to, you know, having them as a mentor as part of your peer group. However, when you're ready to truly start the path to financial freedom and fulfillment in your life, then you can find out about this concept called the mastermind groups. And if you're a high achiever, then I have a mastermind group that's got some room for you. It's a community that's going to blow your mind and what it will bring to you and the impact it'll have on your life. I certainly know this because I've been doing this for eight years and there's nothing I've seen in the personal development field that's more impactful than the powerful curated mastermind group. So all you have to do is jump on a call with a team member, go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and have a conversation with one of my directors of opportunities going to explain to you what that community is all about. See if there's a fit on both sides and then watch your pathway to success become very accelerated. So go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. Hey, everybody, welcome to another session of the I Am Movement podcast. Today, we're going to visit with a dear friend of mine that has been part of my mastermind group, Go Abundance, from its inception many years ago. And he's gone on to grow his identity through that of an engineer into that of a syndicator of real estate, a great um, manager of the properties, many, many partners, and at the same time, somebody who has been able to build it not too fast and weatherproof it for things that are happening in the world, especially the recession that it looks like we are in the midst of. For over a decade, Andrew has been growing real estate investment businesses full-time, starting off with single-family properties in the depths of the Great Recession. Andrew completed 27 single-family flips, all of which were very profitable. In 2011, Andrew transitioned to acquisition and repositioning of multifamily properties, acquiring a mostly vacant 92-unit property on the other side of the country as his first deal. That first property was eventually sold for several times its original purchase price, and Andrew now acquires B-class value-added properties throughout the Southwest. He's got 1,800 multifamily units to date, Outside of the business world, Andrew has uh, been a certified alpine ski instructor. And when he's not doing real estate or enjoying surfing, backcountry skiing, and trying to be outwitted, 
by his two little boys. He's spending time with his lovely wife. And you know what? It's interesting he asks questions like, what could be missing and how could I be wrong? He's an engineer. He comes from a background of looking strategically at how to make things better. And this has allowed him to do very, very well in the real estate field. And it's my honor and pleasure to bring him on to spew his wisdom because you'll see he's very articulate, very to the point, and he's going to share with you a couple of strategies on how to move through this current change in the market in a way that I think you'll see is very intelligent. So let's get to it. Welcome to the I Am Movement podcast, Andrew, my dear friend. This is Interesting Times. Indeed it is. Good to see you even, uh, even just virtually, Rock. Yeah, well, that's uh, part of a new world, I think, that's going to escalate as we are all, you know, traveling through this year of the pandemic. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's bring people up to speed. Uh, They know a bit who you are from the bio that I've given them. But tell them a little bit how you ended up getting so deeply into real estate now from, you know, an educated background. Yeah, you know, I I got a degree originally in chemical engineering, but from high school, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, And so I just went into chemical engineering because I figured it was something that I could have a good job and tolerate until I figured out what my true calling was. Uh, And about seven and a half years in, I discovered uh, flipping houses here in Southern California. Um, And... uh, you know, my, I quit my job to do that. My, and then my wife quit two, her job two years later so we could both do it full time. We did that about for about four, four and a half years here. And then uh, in 2011, our, um, we went and uh, bought, uh, we syndicated an apartment complex. That means we didn't have the money to buy it ourselves. So we pulled together investors and went and, and, and purchased a, a 92 unit apartment complex out in Georgia. And because uh, we figured, you know, with all these foreclosures and all, all the coming out of the recession, you know, apartments are probably going to do really well, right? Because people can't buy houses, but they need to live somewhere. And, you know, after a recession, you have an expansion. And so we started, we went into apartments full time in 2011. And since then, we've bought uh, about 1800 units. I'm actually really thankful that we have not bought much in the last two years. And um, that's our full-time job. And now, you know, now we're, we're definitely, you know, we've switched modes from acquisition and uh, expansion to asset preservation and, and protection. So. so explain that a little bit for people listening to that. What does that mean? So, you know, two years ago, our goals and our business plan was, okay, let's see if, you know, we want to try to buy 800 units this year and and these cities and here's how we're going to raise the money. And, you know, we we brought on two additional people to expand our team. And that was the plan, right? And it's just like, you know, when the Titanic hit the iceberg, everyone's plan, everyone's plan was, oh, hey, when I get to the other side, I'm going to do this and this. All of a sudden, the plan was, okay, I've got to get to this lifeboat. I'm going to make sure I get, you know, it all changes in a heartbeat. And that's basically what happened to everybody um, in most of the world uh, a few weeks ago. And so now our number one thing is making sure that all of our properties and our investors come through this completely intact. So we've gone through and, you know, how can we cut expenses at properties? Uh, And then actually several weeks ago, we were, we tried to get ahead of it and we sent out flyers to all of our residents saying, Hey, you know, here's the government programs that can assist you. Here's how we'll help you with rent. We did things like, hey, if you pay your April rent now, even though it's March, we'll give you a $50 discount, right? Or we'll give you a $50 gift card to a grocery store. So we got a bunch of April rent in in March so that it softens the blow in April. So our number one focus now is 
you know, again, preserving what we have so that when we come out the other side, it's still intact. Because one of the beauties and things I love about real estate is as long as you hold on to it long enough, it'll eventually be profitable, right? Because you pay down the mortgage, rents eventually come back up, all of that. It's when you lose a property, that's really, truly the only time you lose. So our number one goal is to make sure nothing like that happens. And then when, when the appropriate time comes, then we will shift back into acquisition mode and there'll be a ton of opportunities at that time. In, the, in between now and then, it's gonna be rough and painful. But you know what we try, like to focus on is like, okay, but when we get through that, there's gonna be a lot of opportunity, so. Yeah, that's very cool. So nobody has a crystal ball. We're at the, relatively at the beginning stages of this pandemic thing. Um, what is your sense as a business owner strategically, worst case scenario, best case scenario, and how you plan on, on leading your team with that? Yeah, you know, the, the, thought about the worst case scenario. I know you, Andrew, <laughs> thought about it already. Well, yeah. So let me tell you the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is a couple of weeks ago, we went and we modeled what does it look like if our revenue drops by 70%. Wow. And, and, and our properties are only at running at 30, 35% economic occupancy. How long can we survive at those kind of numbers? That is the worst case scenario that we modeled. Uh, the best case scenario is, you know, uh, you know, as of right now, today is April 1st, maybe in the next couple of months, we come out with, you know, I think a vaccine is probably 12, 18, 24 months out, but maybe in the next few weeks, they figure out some, some current drug combination that dramatically reduces the symptoms. And all of a sudden, this isn't quite as you know, big a burden on the healthcare system and the death rate goes down and we can return to some semi-normalcy within you know, a month or two or three or something like that. I think the reality is probably somewhere in the middle, uh, meaning we're going to be dealing with waves of this over the next 12 to 18 months, meaning, okay, we, you know, we, uh, sometime in the next couple of months, things calm down, we ease the restrictions, there's another wave eventually, we go back into social distancing, all this kind of stuff. And it's probably going to be kind of off and on until we do get the vaccine, or and until we develop, develop herd immunity. Um, so what that looks like economically is probably kind of a U-shaped thing where we come down, we bottom out, hopefully not too deep. Uh, the government is doing a lot of things that will help. Uh, lenders are not rushing to foreclose. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They're saying, hey, we'll help you. We'll, do, we'll give you six months off, right? That makes a huge difference of not aggravating the severity of this. So that is a real glimmer of hope to me um, that this won't be as deep as it could be. And then, you know, again, I think it could last at least 12, 18 months. And then hopefully, once the virus becomes, unfortunately, probably just kind of a part of daily life where it's kind of like the flu, we've got a vaccine, you wash your hands extra. I think we start coming back out and we, we start the next cycle. So I'm not doomsday. Um, I'm also not too optimistic of a quick V-shaped recovery. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. So we are preparing for something worse than the middle and hoping for something better. That makes a lot of sense to me. So you said that the last couple of years you kind of reduced on your acquisition. You're happy about that. What was the reason for that? Were you just not finding things in your criteria because the market was kind of bubbling? Yeah, we've, we've always, you know, whenever we look at an acquisition, our number one question is what's the potential downside? And if the potential downside is acceptable, then we look at what's the potential upside. And as we looked at hundreds and hundreds of deals over the last two years. And whenever we looked at a deal and the price that we were going to have to pay to get it and then, and then the, the resulting thin margins that we would be at, we said, well, if something happens, 
meaning a re, a, in, our, in our view, just a normal recession. If a normal recession were to happen, this property could be a problem at these prices. So therefore we don't feel like we can pay this. And so we ended up looking at hundreds and hundreds of deals in the last two years and not buying any. And uh, by, by being, I guess, disciplined or whatever, not just doing deals just because we could do them, uh, I was candidly, I was feeling left out. I'm like, okay, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe, you know, if everyone else is buying these things, maybe are we underwriting wrong? Are we being too conservative? Uh, I mean, it really kind of made me question for a while our business model because um, everyone else is doing these great deals and we're not. Now uh, I look back and I'm not necessarily saying they were all bad deals. I'm thankful that I just, I don't have anything that we bought at top prices and on thin margins because those are going to be the first ones to get into trouble. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, now looking back, there were some deals I was kind of pretty bummed that we missed. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm actually kind of glad I don't own that. <laughs> so. Totally get it. So you are a team of what? How big is your team now? Um, well, we've got our, our direct team and then we kind of have our indirect team. So we use third party property management. So if you were to include all of those staff members, you know, we're probably a team of 35 or 40. But direct, um, myself, we have myself and my, my wife, our business partners. And then um, my three main principals in the apartment business are, uh, of course, you know, good, good friends of both of ours, David, you know, David Osborne, Tim Rode, and Pat Hyben. And then we have um, two acquisitions people that we brought on. Um, one of them, you know, uh, Kelly Andrews, she's an absolute rock star. And so is Anthony. He's not an M1, but both of them are amazing. And they've really improved our business. And I, and I can't wait for them to participate in the 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 opportunities that are come going to come down the roads so um, and then i have an office manager so our core team is really kind of four of us and then we've got david pat and tim and then all the third party you know manager type people and contractors so. do you have have you had to lay anybody off or dial anybody back yet no we have not um one of the things we've always been really proactive is about trying to keep keep overhead low uh so we you know we we feel like, um, you know, and actually I'd say one of the, the key things to surviving any kind of downturn or crisis is maintaining your core team, right? Um, yeah, there might be some fat you can shed, maybe even a little bit of muscle, but, you know, your core people, that's kind of the bones or the structure of every, of your, every team. And, and, you know, we really want to keep them in place. And fortunately, we're set up where um, we're able to do that, so. Yeah, well, I've I heard an expression that goes along with your metaphor. There is that you know you can you can cut the skin, you can even cut the muscle, but you never want to cut the bone. Right, right. You want to keep that core there. So that's really awesome. Now, as you look forward to uh, riding through this particular situation, what skills do you? attribute to you having prepared for this. I talk a lot to people. I say, what are you preparing for in life? And if you haven't been prepared for something like this, you live paycheck to paycheck as an example, you're going to be stressed out more than the person that has six months worth of savings. Uh -huh. How have you prepared just in general with your mindset or with your budget or anything like that for something like this to come along to be in a better position than most people? Uh, for the last couple of years, we have been, you know, the, the last 10 years have been an amazing economic cycle here, especially here in the U.S. Um, and while it was hard to find what was going to put an end to it, we knew at some point it would. And so about two and a half, three years ago, we said, look, 
let's go through our portfolio and we identified and then this could apply to someone who has a business, you know, small businesses or single family rentals or in our case, apartments. I mean, the principle applies anywhere or even stocks, really. We went through our portfolio and said, okay, what are the weakest holdings, right? If we get a recession next year or in two years, what are the, what are the properties or the stocks or the businesses that we wouldn't want to be holding in a recession? And, you know, we didn't, okay, well, you know, this one, this, the demographic here is probably going to suffer in a recession. So we don't want to own that in a recession. So we went through and sold off almost half of our entire portfolio over the course of two and a half years. Um, And we, the ones we sold off were the ones that, again, we didn't want to hold in a recession and we had huge profits on some of those, you know, one we bought for 2.4, we sold for 7.1. We bought another one we bought for 2.8, we sold for 6.4. And our view was, you know, if we get a recession, that opportunity is going to evaporate. So let's take some chips off the table, take that cash and just bank it so that if something happens, number one, we got a lot of runway. And two, the, the people who can most take advantage of opportunities at the bottom are those who have cash. Um, and so that's how we kind of preparing. We've done the same thing at most of our properties. So we, we typically buy with a bridge loan and then refinance. And so when we did refinances the last two to three years uh, at each property, we took large sums of money and just set it into a reserve account, even though we had no idea what it would be used for. In some cases, we set aside hundreds of thousands of dollars into reserve accounts just to sit there for something. And let me tell you, the properties that have that, I feel really good about right now. And there was one property that unfortunately we had a management issue and we had to use two thirds of that reserves. And so we're only about a third of where I would like it to be. And that's the property that, you know, I, I would most be concerned about. Uh, but so kind of looking back, having those reserves, both personally and at the other properties, that is, that definitely helps me be able to sleep. Yeah. That sounds like you've done a great job with that. Tell, talk to me a little bit about uh, how you've shifted your identity in the last, say, 10 years or so. You and I met about, about seven years ago or so. Um, you were kind of starting into, you know, moving in that direction. And I would say now you've become an authority in the area of syndication and apartment acquisition. You've been on other podcasts where people consider you authority, throw your name around and people are like, oh yeah, I know him. How has that shifted for you? Um, you know, go back to when you were transitioning from chemical engineer to starting in real estate to now, I think you probably feel quite confident and comfortable in your lane. You know, it's funny. I, I still, um, I still, I still reference myself as an engineer, right? It's kind of like once a Marine, always a Marine. I think it's once a, once an engineer, always an engineer. It's, it's a way of thinking and, and, and being, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's scary in one sense. Um, you know, my, my identity is definitely, you know, on, and there's all sorts of different aspects of that, right? There's husband, there's dad, there's, there's you know, entrepreneur, there's investor. Sure. Um, and it's in one sense, it's, um, it's what I wanted to be and become uh, was, a, was, a, you know, a, a, someone who, at least in, in my niche, um, is as educated and, and knowledgeable as I, as I can be. Um, and, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's a little bit, um, it can be scary. is not really the right word, but it can be scary at times knowing that, Hey, people are listening to what I'm, to what I'm, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying, right. It's an added level of responsibility. Um, and, um, you know, and then there's also just the, 
you know, I see myself as a steward. Um, I have, you know, hundreds of people have given us their hard earned money uh, to invest and grow and take care of. Um, so I see myself as a steward, whereas an, as an engineer, I wasn't. And in the beginning, when I was flipping houses, you know, we were just, it was really just for us. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to flip a house, make a profit and move on. Whereas now, you know, we're, we, yes, we're in business for ourselves, but we're also in business with hundreds of partners who are investors. And, you know, their livelihoods are you know, partially dependent on us and us being good stewards and us making wise decisions as, you know, as best as we can. And, and then, and again, that's part of the, you know, as you know, you know, I've been in GoBundance for a long time. And that's one of the things I love about it is, is I can tap into the wisdom of so many people who've gone before me and learn from their experience rather than make mistakes myself. Um, and that's, that's been a change for me too. Um, you know, in the beginning, I've, and, and historically, I've always been very much a lone wolf type of guy. And my identity has, has changed and morphed over the years to, uh, that's been a learning experience that that's not the best way to go. Um, maybe you can move the fastest as a lone wolf, but not necessarily the farthest or, or know the best path. And so that's been a change too, whereas I see myself as uh, part of a larger team, part of a tribe. Um, and again, yeah, that, that's been a growth and a change in identity over the years. Very nice. What, what would you recommend to people that maybe resist that? Because I hear that a lot. People like to try to figure it out on their own. They sometimes don't want to be knowing that they don't know the answers. They want to look good or whatever. They're shy, whatever. What do you, well, how have you convinced yourself to be more proactive in approaching people, getting their opinion, getting their perspective and things like that? How have you, how have you created that for yourself and expanding your identity? You know, I, I really have to give credit to, to other people because I was kind of dragged into it, right? I mean, you know, for going back to the GoBundance example, the only reason I went is because Tim Rode invited me and, um, you know, I respected him. So I went and you know, I, I didn't really think much about those type of groups. But what happened is not and not just GoBundance, just other people I know in the business and just throughout life is when I see is the people who learn to just ask the questions, to reach out to others, to become part of another group. They were the ones who were learning the fastest. They were the ones who were scaling the fastest. And, you know, that is definitely, I, while I'm thankful that I did do it, um, you know, if I could change something, I would say I would go back and do that earlier. Uh, I would get more involved with other people and other groups and other learning experiences. I would have, I would have expanded our team earlier. Uh, I definitely missed out on some opportunity by, you know, only expanding our team fairly recently as opposed to doing it five years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I can't, I wish I could say it was something where I strategically approached it and, and saw, oh yeah, I should do this. I didn't, well, we were fortunate that, you know, and with my wife's help, uh, I was, you know, I also used to be pretty, pretty tight fisted with, with expenses. And so I didn't want to pay for mentors. Um, fortunately, fortunately, my wife was the wiser of the two of us and convinced me to do it. And you know, that was a big part of, of why we're here. And um, at the same time, I should, I, I do. So that was good. Um, but uh, yeah, expanding, expanding the team and expanding to other groups and learning from others more would have, would have, you know, put us in probably even, even better position than we are now. So. So anytime you do an investment, you obviously, you do your best to make sure it's going to go well, but there's going to be surprises and yeah. <laughs> it's going to change. It's going to change, you know, the numbers, the return, et cetera. What are say one, two or three of the top lessons you've learned in the last kind of 10 years of doing this that now maybe is 
automatic where you're like, okay, we're gonna check this, check the neighbors or check the references or check the cooling system. What are some of the two or three top things that you go, now that I will not buy a deal unless that is you know clear to me? Yeah, I would say one thing that, that applies in general, not just to real estate, is always go in overcapitalized, right? If you think you need 50 grand, go in with 75. If you okay. think you need 100, go in with 200, right? You can always, especially if you're raising money from other people, you can always give that money back if you don't need it. But it's way harder to go get it later if you run short, right? Mm. So that's number one. That applies to across the board. If you're starting a new business, if you're buying real estate, whatever you're doing, go in overcapitalized. And as far as real estate specific, we found one of the biggest things for us, the, that, that when we look back at the portfolio and which properties were the most successful and the least headache, is we look at median income. Uh, you know, we tend to buy C plus to B class properties, which is kind of like your workforce housing, middle of the road, you know, mostly renters for life type type demographics. And once we, we found that once you get below, and again, most of the, I mean, we're not talking California or crazy New York type incomes and prices, but for the majority of the country, the South, the Midwest, once we get below 35,000 median income, those properties tend to really struggle more with collections, uh, evictions, delinquent rent, crime goes up, you know, as income, as income goes down below 35, we find crime goes up exponentially. The further you get below 35, the higher the crime rates tend to get. Um, and you just, you just get into, uh, you know, a, a demographic that, um, you know, is, is just struggles harder than the, the majority of everybody else. And so we don't buy anything in an area where the median income is less than 35,000. We also will not buy in an area where crime is high. Um, you know, if, if you, if we were looking at, a, again, single family, big apartment complex, whatever it is, if there's a couple of crime issues at your property, you can buy it and you can fix that, but you can't change the neighborhood around you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if the whole neighborhood has, you know, high crime rates or similar type issues, you can try to clean up your property and it, they just, it keep, they just, it, the issues just keep flooding back in. You, you cannot change the neighborhood. So that's another big one for us is, is crime uh, in addition to median income. Those are some great distinctions. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing. What is your five-year vision? Are you going to continue to acquire real estate? Are you going to, um, are you going to you know, diversify a little bit as we go through this choppy market? Are you going to, are you in the stock market? Are you going to continue? Are you going to start buying at some point in time? Yeah, my five-year vision is very different than it was a month ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like, a, like I said, when you hit the, hit, you know, the Titanic, all of a sudden everyone's yeah. changes of what their, what their main goal is. But um, so as far as the stock market goes, you know, when I, so I actually went and did a study um, and looked at the three greatest historical analogs. So that would be the 1918 Spanish flu, the Great Recession in the 30s, Great Depression in the 30s, and then 2008. And when you look at those, the stock market declined over a period of one to three years, not just in the first month, one to three years, um, it declined anywhere from 50 to 84%, right? So um, I am looking at getting back into the stock market, but my guess is it's probably going to be more at, at a level where the Dow Jones is in the 15 to 16,000 range. Um, I, you know, if, again, if you look at historical events, it's typically not 
you know, drops for a month and then starts going back up. It, it zigzags down for one to three years. And I would be surprised if that's not the case this time. So yeah. um, I do have an allocation for, for stock market. I think that's a, you know, a ways, a one way for people to take advantage of this um, at the right time. And again, no one, you can't perfectly time the bottom but you also don't want to catch a falling knife, right? It's better on the way up. It's better to sell early than sell late. And on the way down, it's better to buy a little late than, than buy a little early. Right? So that's kind of how we're approaching it. And we want to get the general sense of the bottom, not the exact bottom. Yeah. Makes Bar total sense. Yeah, and then as far as real estate goes, we, we were actually in the middle of an acquisition when this hit and we just put it on pause. We just, you know, we amended the agreement and say, hey, we're just going to extend this time frame an extra month and a half, and then we're going to revisit it at that point, right? We we still like you as the seller. We still like the property, but the world is in chaos. No one, you know, knows what's going on. Let's just sit back and wait. And so we put that on hold. Outside of that, um, you know, we're... I'm not, I wouldn't say that we won't take any opportunities, but we're certainly not aggressively pursuing new acquisitions right now. You know, my thought process today is we'll probably start seeing some really good opportunities in maybe nine to 12 months. Um, you know, the stock market responds instantaneously to this type of thing, and which we've already seen. Real estate takes a while to, to, to work through. Uh, and so I think, you know, nine to 12 months down the road is when we'll see some opportunities. The government's doing lots of things to to help uh, properties make it through, but there's going to be people who either just aren't proactive enough or stick their heads in the sand or they're like, screw it, I just don't care, I'm out, you know? And so that will provide opportunities down the road. So, you know, our five-year plan now is kind of, again, asset, asset preservation right now is number one, and then lay the groundwork to be able to benefit from the opportunities that are probably coming down the road in one to two or three years. So that by the time we get to five years, we've our team is intact and not, and we're we have a bigger and better portfolio then than we do now. Makes a lot of sense. So what I hear you saying is that even though the government is is taking action right away, there's people that are going to drop the ball, not pay attention, not know the benefits, wake up in three six months, find out that they can't pay the bills on their on their property. Uh, there'll be probably an increase in foreclosures and. Once that kind of works its way through the system, we'll start to probably see some good, decent opportunities, speaking our language, in the latter part of this year and maybe into the, the next coming years. Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, what are your favorite books, Andrew? Ah, you know, um, one that I review on a regular basis is How to Win Friends and, and Influence People. That is, you know, the material in there is, is key no matter what business you're in. Yeah. Uh, and it applies to everything outside of business too. And I also really like, um, it's just an old one. It's from the 90s, but it's Jim Camp's Start With No. It's a great negotiating book. Um, a good companion to that is the more recent Chris Voss's um, Never Split the Difference. And um, yeah, I've got, uh, I, and actually, you know, that's, that's one thing that's one thing I've learned over the years is, you know, a lot of us, it's very tempting. So I'm going to read 50 books this year or a hundred books. And, you know, you speed through these books. Well, you know, how much do you really, uh, you know, in, in enact that and use it to change your life. Whereas what I've found is if I take the books, I'm like, wow, that was really awesome. So then I save that and then go back instead of trying to read 10 more new books, I go back and read what I highlighted in the original one and say, well, have I applied this to my life? If I haven't applied this to my life yet, 
then why do I need to get a bunch of new things to apply if I haven't even done the other ones I've already identified, right? So yes. I actually, so there's books that I go through and reread and restudy and say, well, I already said this is going to help me. So let's get this enacted. And then I'll read some more new ones. So I, I do a combination of rereading and restudying ones that I already know are impactful. And then, you know, redoing new stuff on top of that. So. I love it. I love it. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for dropping by the I Am podcast. You've been a great friend and you and I have uh, paddled the fjords in <laughs> Norway together. That was epic. Yes. Yeah. And we've done some really cool stuff and it doesn't surprise me to watch how you have incrementally built your business and done it with integrity. And even Kelly, who works with you, is somebody that uh, came through the magic of the mastermind and mm -hmm. the opportunity for, for you to, you know, talent to meet experience and for that to grow. So it's been nice, you know, having you as a friend and watching your success. Likewise, Rock. I appreciate that. All right, brother. Thanks so much. All right, take care. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.